Today's sermon text is Luke 2, 22 through 40. It can be found in the Bible in the rack in front of you on page 857. Hear the word of the Lord. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, Now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, This child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was eighty-four. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Good morning again. Hope all of you had a wonderful Christmas. Uh, last night, Laura and I got to spend some time just reflecting over the past year and uh, thinking through what the Lord has done for us in 2023, just praying about what he might have in 2024. And I will admit that much of our conversation was taken up with, with you, brothers and sisters. Um, maybe not each of you in particular by name, but one of the great blessings or the ways that the Lord has Bless our family in the past year has been through, uh, through you. So kind of a great privilege to be spending the last day of the year with you. And with that, let's, let's turn to the Lord this morning and let's ask for his blessing in this last sermon of the year as we look to Luke chapter two. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are the ancient of days. 
You have been, you are, and you always will be. And we look forward to the day in which we will see you face to face. But now, Lord, would you help us to wait patiently and expectantly even. Use your word to equip us for that task. And now, Lord, would you make the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts pleasing in your sight. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I mentioned that Laura and I went out to dinner last night. That's been one of the common questions I've been asked by a lot of people here is like, what's our our, one of our normal date spots, and I really don't have a very good answer for that. We go to lots of different places, and usually our date spots are uh, like close to us and cheap-ish, so I don't even tell people where I go because I'm not sure if you'd actually want to go there. But I, I'm, I'm, um, I like to ask back, what's a date spot that you like that maybe Laura and I can go find? And we almost last night took you up on this, but one, one of the consistent answers that I've gotten is El Barrio. Um, El Barrio, if you don't know, I got a fist pump in the back, so people are real excited about El Barrio. Uh, El Barrio, if you don't know, is a Mexican restaurant on 2nd Avenue downtown, and I, I hear that it is great. But I have never been to El Barrio, even though you have been telling me about this for about a year now. And the reason that I have never been to El Barrio is because I hate, I hate waiting at a restaurant. And I don't think I've ever walked or driven by without a line out the door or at least looking inside and seeing a glowing room of people sitting there. And I'm immediately like, no, 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 we're not we're not waiting here. If we want Mexican food, you can just take a little turn and there's a Taco Bell right there. Drive through and you get it quickly. Right. Same thing, roughly. I'm sure I'm not the only one who struggles to wait for things. Uh, kids, I'd love your help. I think that maybe all of us struggle with waiting, but kids, is there anything that you especially hate waiting for? No? Perfectly patient kids, or nobody wants to give up the fact that they hate waiting for Christmas or birthday gifts, or for parents to get ready to go out the door to get to church or something like that. We all hate waiting. It is not something that we really love doing, or at least I've not yet met anybody who is really just eager to wait for things. And today what we find in our passage is some expert waiters, some people who we are going to learn lessons from this morning as we learn to wait patiently and expectantly and hopefully. I don't want to overpromise. I, like I said, we went out on a date last night and Laura was like, we could go to El Barrio. And I was like, no. So I can't tell you that this little sermon is going to just stir your heart to be Patient for every little thing that comes your way. Uh, my, my greatest concern is not a wait for a table at a restaurant or for Christmas or waiting at a doctor's office that you'd be able to get through quickly. Uh, my greatest concern is that everyone here who calls themselves a Christian, who clings to Christ, we're waiting for one great thing together. We're waiting in many ways for the return of Christ or when he calls us home. That day comes for each and every one of us here. And that is a much longer wait than any of these other kind of trivial waits that we could think about. And it's also a wait that has a much better payoff. And so it's worth taking some time and asking, how do we wait for the Lord with patience? How do we wait for him well? So here's the main point of the passage. I hope that this is the main point of the sermon this morning. The wait for God's salvation is over in Jesus. 
He is the fulfillment of all the hopes of Israel. The wait is over and and now we wait again with hope. Uh, we're going to kind of to organize our time. We're really going to look back and then kind of look forward or look at ourselves at least. So we're going to spend the first part of this morning looking back on who Christ is, on how these saints waited for the Lord, waited patiently for the Lord and why it was worth the wait who, what this text tells us about who Christ is. And then at the end, I do want to spend a good amount of time saying, okay, we've seen them wait. We're in their shoes. Slightly differently, different thing we're waiting for. But how do we wait with patience in this way? And my prayer this week is that the Holy Spirit would take the identity of Jesus that you see kind of come out from the pages here. And he would take the examples of these brother, this brother and sister who have gone before us, and he would kind of press that into your lives and your hearts. And so that we would be people who were found faithful as we wait for the Lord when he comes. So we're going to start just by looking backwards, looking at the text, identifying who it is we're waiting for. Who is this, this Jesus? What does this text tell us about him? And some of these things we've talked about over the past several weeks, there are a few things, though, that are new, in Luke at least, that come out. I want to spend most of our time looking at those. Uh, if you weren't here with us last week, the good news is that you I don't need to like get you up to speed that much. It was the Christmas story. So if you're aware, Jesus was born, and then the shepherds heard this angelic message and were told that they had great news of joy for all the people. And at the very close of last week's passage, if you have Luke 2 open, you can see just the last verse from last week. This is a kind of a transition, a hinge point from the birth of Jesus into our text this morning. You, you fast forward eight days from the birth of Jesus and you get Luke 2.21. At the end of eight days when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Like I said, that's a hinge verse. It's looking back. Here is this this one who was born. Here's the, I don't know if you noticed, but like in the whole birth story, you don't hear his name until this verse. So Mary and Joseph are obedient. They take him to uh, to be circumcised. They give him the name Jesus as they were told. And that transitions into verses 22 and 24. The first portrait what we see this morning, that Jesus was born under the law. Okay, so look with me at verse 22. When the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Here, I hope you heard kind of the repetition there. Joseph and Mary are meticulous. They do everything according to the law. That's three times there. It comes up again in verse 39, kind of at the close of the passage. And here there's, there's really two things in mind, two reasons why they go to the temple. One is that word purification. So the law in Leviticus 12 says that women after giving birth, uh, 40 days after giving birth to a baby boy, they were to go to the temple, make a sacrifice, and that would make them ceremonially clean so they could go back into the temple. The second reason, if you want all the details on that, go look at Leviticus 12. It's short. You can read it this afternoon in like 30 seconds. You can go look there if you want more details. The second reason they're there is not just purification, but dedication. But presenting Jesus to the Lord, uh, that's in accordance with Exodus 13. After the Passover, 
God says, I saved your firstborn by the blood of the Lamb, and so you will consecrate your firstborn to me, Exodus 13, 1 and 2. Now Luke could have really easily just said, uh, they went up to Jerusalem, that would kind of cut out some of this detail, but I think he leaves this detail in there, partly to show us that Mary and Joseph are obedient, but also to show us this truth that Jesus was born under the law. He was born under the law. This is made really explicit in Paul's preaching in Galatians 4. It's kind of a Christmassy text itself. He says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons. So all of Israel, ultimately all of humanity, were under the law of God, and the clear testimony of the Bible and of our lives is that the law stands over us in condemnation, that we have not completed what we have done. We have broken the law. But here, just the first reminder of many as we go throughout the story, from the cradle of the cross, Jesus himself was to live a life under that same law. He's going to walk the same path that we walk. But instead of breaking, instead of the law standing over him in condemnation, he's going to keep it perfectly. He is born under the law. Now, one last detail here before we move on. Uh, this purification offering that, that Mary and Joseph are to make, the normal offering that is brought is a lamb and a pigeon or a, a turtle dove. So you need to have like two different kinds of animals. Verse 24, though, says Mary brought a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And that is a quote from Leviticus 12. I put it there in your notes, I believe, and underline kind of why they do this. It says, if she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons. In other words, this is just like a a brief glimpse that Mary and Joseph were, relatively speaking, poor in Israel. That socioeconomically, they, they weren't like up and mighty. They weren't living off of some trust fund that was left to their parents, but that they had little in terms of their, uh, their possessions. And I, I point that out not to elevate poverty. That doesn't mean that they were like super spiritual, that if you, that poor people are more spiritual naturally. I just want to quickly like take one minute to apply that briefly. So, so first, the, the poor, the poor should know that they have a savior. Who humbled himself, not just to become a king, but to humble himself into even poverty. That, that those who are poor are not alone. He, when he comes later and says, blessed are the poor. Uh, when, he, when he comes and speaks those words, he's not speaking as, an, as a savior who is unacquainted with that himself. He humbles himself. He took on Poverty, as we say even every week in our time of giving. Second, the rich and the mighty should not overlook the way that God cares for the poor. Even like Leviticus 12 and that kindness that he says, you can bring two pigeons and two turtle doves if you can't afford it. God cares for those. And lastly, just should drive out any notion of prosperity gospel that we would ever want to see. To say that Jesus came to eliminate poverty. No, he came to save people who were sinners. He actually himself took on poverty. We lie and damage if we say that he came and he came to eliminate that kind of thing. That he comes to bring wealth and health and godliness. No, Jesus came to save a people for himself. He came as one of us, the poor, under the law. Okay, so now Jesus and his 
parents are in Jerusalem heading into the temple. And we meet for the first time. This is a new character in scripture, a man named Simeon. He appears here in Luke 2. He doesn't appear anywhere else in the story. But, but he is showing us, going to show us the next two points, kind of who Jesus is. And he reminds us first that Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. Look with me at verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Like many of God's people before him, Simeon has spent his whole life eagerly longing for the Lord to fulfill his promises to bring comfort to Israel. It's that word consolation, that he would console Israel in their loss. We're going to talk more about that in a few minutes when we come to the story of Anna. But Simeon is unique from other Israelites in that he has a specific promise by the Holy Spirit. We don't get told like all the details of how this came about, what happens, but the Holy Spirit has told him that he will not die until he sees the promised Messiah. The Holy Spirit is, the, this is the sixth person in the book of Luke already that we've seen the Holy Spirit come upon and speak to. He's a major character and his, his job is constantly to point people to Jesus. And that's what he does here. Even in the following verse, he says, he makes this promise to Simeon. And then again, we don't have the mechanics of how this plays out. But Simeon, by the Spirit's prompting, one day goes into the temple. He's just going about his business. And then it's like the Spirit urges him to go to the temple. And as he goes, he's surrounded by people walking in and out. But he sees before him this family come in. A man and his young betrothed. And a 40-day-old newborn baby. And when he sees Jesus, it's like all the things that he has been waiting for, the consolation, the hope, the redemption that he has longed for is there in front of his very eyes. I remember a professor one time telling me about his grandmother and taking her for the first time to go see the ocean. She'd lived most of her life in kind of landlocked. She had seen lakes, bodies of water, but she always wanted to see the ocean. And so in her 60s and her 70s, when, when she was getting older, they decided as a family that they were going to take her to go, go to the ocean. And he said that he they drove up and she stepped out and could see the horizon from one end to the other, water spreading out forever. And like all of the things that she had hoped for, she just welled up with tears and said in this breathless whisper, it's just better than I ever imagined. And that's what Simeon sees. He is at last holding in his arms the very hope that he has spent his life longing for. The thing that he has wanted more than anything is now there. And it's not in some vague kind of promise or some savior king who has come as a conqueror, but in a baby lying in his arms. 
And once Simeon sees Jesus, he says, the Lord can now let him depart in peace. I love how J.C. Ryle puts this. Simeon speaks like one for whom the grave has lost its terrors and the world has lost its charms. I want that to be true. I want that on my tombstone, maybe, that you could put that there. The world has lost its charms and the grave had lost its terrors. May that be said of those of us who cling to Christ. That we say with Paul, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Or what we say and sing in Christ alone, no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. So in his prayer, Simeon says, Lord, you can, you can let me depart. You've done it. You fulfilled your promise. But he does bring something here kind of to the forefront at the beginning of the gospel of Luke that we're going to see played out throughout the rest of the gospel. We've already seen and kind of focused several times on Jesus is God's salvation. But but what Simeon brings out here is something that was promised a long time ago throughout even the beginning of Israel's history, but that had been forgotten really, had been minimized throughout centuries. That he was meant to be a light of revelation to the Gentiles as well. Israel wanted comfort, they needed hope, but but they weren't meant to be like a cul-de-sac you drive in and grace and hope and comfort kind of come in there and stay there and we say great we got it good to go ever since the beginning of genesis 12 when god makes his promise to abraham he says i am blessing you so that through you all the nations on the earth will be blessed through you not that it will come and stop with you but that grace would come as a conduit through israel They were meant to be a a city on a hill, a a place where people would see the very character of God and they would be attracted into that, that through Israel, God's salvation would go out to the nations. That's why we read earlier in Isaiah 49, Isaiah 49, 6, Lord speaking through the prophet about and to his servant. He says, it is too light, too small. It's too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Here in Luke, like we see just like a small candle that's sparked in Jerusalem. And Simeon is looking with the Holy Spirit and saying that little spark is going to expand to the ends of the earth, going from one end to the other. And even throughout the book of Luke, we're going to see the gospel spread. And in his sequel, the book of Acts, you see it go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. That has been God's plan from the beginning. From the very beginning. This is not like an add-on, and we should be very thankful. I am. I don't know your ethnic background, but living in Birmingham, Alabama, my guess, and most of you I know, you are probably not Jewish. It's good news that Jesus is comfort for Israel. It's good news for you and me, brothers and sisters, that he is the light of the world and that he has been revealed before our eyes. This Messiah is meant to bring light to the Gentiles and Simeon sees not just his own salvation, but salvation going to the ends of the earth in Jesus. And Simeon says that he can go in peace. He has seen the light But what he says next is a little unexpected. Uh, It's actually the first time in Luke that you get 
what can feel like a downer. Like everywhere else, Jesus has been proclaimed as good news, great joy, hope. And we would hope, we would think maybe everyone who sees that and hears that is going to flock to him. But then Simeon says this in verse 33. Uh, that we get this about Mary and Joseph. His father and his mother marveled at what was said about them. In verse 34, Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. So that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Simeon finds peace in Jesus, but that's not true for everyone. For many, he will be a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. And there will be some who oppose him. And for those who do oppose him, he's not for their rising. It won't mean that they are lifted up, but that they will fall. Uh, Think about the metaphor that Simeon uses even. He calls Jesus a light for revelation. Uh, Light can do a couple of things. For, for many people, light is a means of hope. It's a way out of darkness, a way to say, I'm here and I want to get to there and I need a way to see forward. It illuminates the way in which you walk. But for many others, light means exposure. It, it doesn't mean a way out, but it means the dark things that you have kind of held onto and tried to hide even are now revealed. Before others, possibly. Definitely before yourself. And as Jesus kind of goes through, you can even think about the rich young ruler and the kind of way that you see that happening as he comes and says, sell your things and give it to the poor. It's exposed. And all of a sudden, the the area, the little corner of his life he wants to keep hidden is laid bare before Jesus. Instead of rising, he falls and stumbles. Jesus exposes the dark corners of people's hearts. And as he does that, He will face opposition. So much so that we're told even that his opposition to him will become violent. So that one day Mary will look up at her son taking gasping breaths. Nails will pierce his hand. A spear will pierce his side. And a sword will pierce her own soul. And as Simeon sees salvation in his arms, he he also sees a looming shadow of Calvary. And it's through the cross that we find this dividing line running throughout all of humanity. And ultimately coming to the heart of every human here. Of every person who will ever hear this news and one day who will stand before God. This is what Paul says about this in 1 Corinthians 1. He says, Jews demand signs, Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Friends, this is still true today. Jesus is still the litmus test for all of humanity. So that one day for each person, even in this room, you hearing my voice now, you will one day stand before God and the question will be, what do you think of this Christ? What do you make of him? 
here, here are just some questions. Uh, J.C. Ryle kind of reflecting on this question. He puts these. I found these helpful in looking at my own soul and encourage you to think about them even this week. Are we for him or are we against him? Do we love him or do we neglect him? Do we stumble at his doctrine or do we find it life from the dead? Let us never rest till these questions are satisfactorily answered. Friends, take these questions to heart. Brothers and sisters in Christ, settle in your minds today what you think about Jesus. Kids and youth, there are lots of questions you may be wrestling with. Where am I going to college? What do you want for your birthday? What are the, where are we going to lunch is the question you'll be asking in a few minutes, I'm sure. There is no more important question than this. What do you make of Jesus, the Christ? And friend, if you're here and not a Christian, just know we are so glad that you are here. We say there's no better place to be on a Sunday morning than worshiping with God's people. And you're always welcome here. We also want to be very clear that we think life and death hang in the balance of this question. Don't leave today without wrestling with who is this Jesus. You can find peace. Simeon shows us that. The rest of the Bible points that you're surrounded by people here who have found life in Jesus. And we would love nothing more than to tell you how you can know life in Jesus too. But you should resolve that question today. If you have questions about that, please come find me after service. If you came to church with someone that you know here, go to lunch afterwards. Just ask them, what is, what should I be thinking about this man? And how can I be made right and find peace with God? That's really the sum of Simeon's ministry. He wants to say, Jesus is the light of all the world. And that means that everybody will divide on him. And just as quickly as Simeon steps into this scene, he fades out. And we get another character who comes up for another kind of quick three-verse appearance. Look with me at verse 36 as we see Anna awaiting the redemption of God's people. There was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, just the right time, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Anna is an elderly widow. She's been a widow for decades. Uh, if you look down in the ESV, which is the Pew Bibles or what we use, you can see that it's possible in the text it says that she was a widow until she was 84. It's possible also that she'd been a widow for 84 years, which would make her like 105-ish. Regardless, she has been waiting a long time. And she has dedicated her life to the Lord in fasting and prayer. She has been waiting for redemption and consolation. Uh, we, I would say, just in Anna, we may feel just a slight slimmer of this hope of redemption of Israel, of consolation. Maybe today we feel it more acutely than we have in a long time. We've prayed in the past three months that the Lord would bring peace and longed for comfort into Israel, to the Middle East. We may sympathize with that over the past couple of months, but for, for centuries, 
Jewish men and women felt this kind of longing. God, bring peace. Console your people. Redeem us. From birth, their birth as God's people, Israel was a people who were enslaved, who were assailed, who were exiled, who were beleaguered, who were oppressed, and even now in their own land and in this book, in Luke 2, they're living in a land and they are not in charge. They're longing for redemption. And if you've ever been in that kind of situation, the promise of coming hope is worth its weight in gold, maybe even more so. Give up your own possessions so that you might have something, some, something sure to grab hold of. God had promised his people in places like Isaiah 40, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Or Isaiah 49, sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. Israel is like a, a vessel at sea, battered, tossed by winds and waves. And these verses, this hope is like a lighthouse calling them forward. And when Anna finally finds Jesus, she knows that comfort and redemption are there. They see with their own eyes that God can be trusted. That he fulfills his promises. And even though there is more waiting to come for these, they know that comfort and redemption had dawned. Now, one, one last point of Jesus' identity here, and I promise this is the briefest by far. Uh, we see finally that Jesus is full of grace and truth. Okay, look at verse 39. When they performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Uh, that line that he's full of grace and truth, that's from John chapter 1. I'm just taking that as a summary of what we see happening here. He is filled with wisdom. God's grace is upon him, and we'll talk more about that next week. But that's the story. We've, that's, that's it. That's looking back at what happened, at who Jesus is, at how these saints and why they waited, at why Jesus was such good news for them. Why he wasn't someone they could just look at and kind of shrug their shoulders, but someone for whom they said, I can now die at peace. And, and while we look at them and say they were waiting for his first coming, we actually find ourselves in a similar kind of place. We're not waiting for his first coming, though, but looking longingly for him to come again. And so we should. We should ask, how do we, looking at this text how has God equipped us as his people to wait faithfully for the Lord today? What does it look like for us to long for and wait patiently for Christ's return? Uh, we'll have just three points of application here for us to take this text and apply it in our life. So first, we wait with patience. We wait with patience. Uh, Anna and Simeon, we don't know how old Simeon is, but uh, most commentators assume he is older that he says I'm, i now can die that i'm seen the lord's christ we know that anna was an elderly widow they developed over decades even patience and part of the christian life friends is just cultivating a life of patience i mentioned earlier my own hesitance to wait at restaurants and the trade-off if i leave el barrio to drive to taco bell is that i'm trading in a wonderful meal a meal that is satisfying that is most definitely healthier 
And one that actually builds more patience in me for something that is passing away. Something that is less satisfying. Something that is not as healthy. Something that only builds in me more impatience. And I fear sometimes that that kind of impatience that I feel in my own gut, uh, that sometimes it works its way into my own heart and soul. I've, I've prayed every time I, I feel like any time I read, uh, I read through a book on the, the fruit of the spirit with a few church members earlier in this year. And I feel like when I do that, I just, when I get to patience, I just am constantly praying like, Lord, would you give me patience? And I feel like what I'm asking for, what I would like to happen is like a shot, you know, just a quick injection. And there's patient Ryan, you know, pray that. And then you walk out and now I've got it. And much more frequently, the way that Lord seems to answer those is not with like a quick injection, but like a training plan, like weeks and weeks of having to bear with difficulty, of having to face and trials and challenges and saying, Lord, I guess you're building patience in me. What do we lose if we give up too quickly? What, what are the lessons that we can maybe acknowledge with our heads Things that because we know the statement of faith or because we've walked with the Lord for many years, we can say, I know that this is true of the Lord. But things that really only take root through a crucible of patient waiting. In early uh, 2020, we spent nearly two weeks in a room in Children's Hospital with with Rose as she had uh, a respiratory distress that the doctors never really identified. It wasn't COVID. They checked for it. But they said, so we don't know why she is struggling to breathe. And about a week into that stay, um, the elders from our church had come and they they'd prayed for us there. And several days after they came, one of the elders, a man named James Finch, who many of you know, who has actually preached here at the church before, James, James came up by himself on his lunch break just to read the Bible and pray with us. And as we turned around and walked back towards, I walked with James to the elevator. And uh, James just is, James has this gravity around about him. And he's just looking around and says, one day, one day we won't need all this stuff. That IV bag, it's not going to be needed one day. That, that hospital gown that's being tossed away, that warning saying, caution, virus, enter with care, we won't need that. Friends, I've known that truth. I've known that God is wiping away tears, that he is coming, that he is making all things new. But it it took a week of waiting for the Lord to answer prayers. It took a crucible of patience for the Lord to actually like press that in my mind and heart. So that that not, not just then, but every day after that, I feel like when I pray, come Lord Jesus, I actually want that. What are the lessons that the Lord teaches and only teaches through seasons of patient waiting? What in your life are the things that you don't learn in a day, maybe an hour, but take weeks and years of prayer that has gone unanswered? Of things that you want to go away, but the Lord has kept you in there. And what has the Lord taught you and I in that Our patience in those moments is building for us a reserve of patience for days to come. It's building in us a time where we can wait on the Lord that, that know, and know that He is coming for us fully and finally. And we don't want to trade that. We we don't want to take the, the small 
feast, the pleasures of the day, and trade that for the feast that he is preparing for us. We want it to be said of us like Simeon and Anna that we waited righteously and devoutly as servants of the Lord. And here I, I do, I want to make a special plea. If you're, if you're here as a visitor, I'm really glad you're here. I just want to make a quick special plea to those of you who are members of Philadelphia Baptist Church. We have the great privilege, brothers and sisters, of having a church that has people from, uh, who are members from young kids to, I'm going to use the term in the parking, senior saints, so I don't get in trouble. What a blessing that is. And I know it's not a bad thing to have friends your own age. I'm glad for that, for deep friendships that you enjoy walking through life together as you're going through the same stage. But I want to encourage you that we have so much to learn and to teach each other because we have a diversity of ages in our church. So, senior saints, some of you have been walking with the Lord for decades, and you have been, I know some of you have been like Anna. Some of you for many years have walked through seasons of suffering that, that we are unacquainted with, that I, I don't know. And you have much to teach us. You have clung to Jesus for longer than we've been alive. Would you teach us that? And younger, younger church members, those of school age, even those who are, uh, have children at the homes, many of you have energy and zeal for the Lord that our church needs. And that is encouraging. We want to see the gospel go forward to the ends of the earth. And you help us see places where we can maybe do that better. You have much to teach and much to give. We desperately need one another. And older saints, you bless us and you bless the coming generations by talking to us about God's faithfulness. I love walking out the doors of the church sometimes. And I know somebody who has told me on the way out, I don't know how I would have made this without the Lord. That's a lesson that I need to learn. And so many else, so many others here need to learn as well. So just very practically, waiting patiently as a church means we need one another. It means we have to have one another. And that we need other people who are not in the same stage of life that we're in. Uh, specifically, just younger church members, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you maybe even to take initiative. Reach out to someone who is further down the road than you. And just ask them, how has the Lord helped you to wait patiently for him? How has he sustained you? Now, it may just be a coffee or a lunch to begin with, but I hope that relationship develops in a way that helps us all wait patiently for the Lord. So we wait. We want to wait patiently for the Lord. We want to wait a second with thanksgiving. Uh, as soon as Anna walks into the temple, she sees the answer to her hopes. It's there in Jesus in front of her, and she begins to thank God. Now, of anybody in this story... Anna is the one character who I look at, and I think if anybody has a reason for complaint, it's Anna. She could be so bitter and angry, and she, instead, the two things that we read about, like words coming, she doesn't say anything in the text, but it says that she lives a life of prayer and a life of thanksgiving. Oh, brothers and sisters, if she can give thanks, I think we can as well. We should and have so much that we can give thanks for. Thanksgiving is like fuel in the tank to keep us going. 
Just think about all the things that the Lord has given you in your struggle to continue faithfully with him as we wait for him. He has given us his scripture, the revelation and light to the Gentiles. He has given us brothers and sisters to spur us on and stir us up. Maybe even today, this is the perfect day to stop and give thanks for the past year. What is it God has done specifically in your life to push you forward, to say, you can keep going. I sustained you for a year. I'll do it again. Give thanks to the Lord. In our waiting, we want God to make us a people who are thankful. And when we see these things, we want to erupt, just like Anna, with thanksgiving to God. Finally, we, we wait, and we want to be a people who wait and proclaim. Uh, just, just think, in this, these few short verses, God demonstrates he is the God of all different kinds of people, men and women, old Young, Jew and Gentile, rich and poor. Jesus is the one hope for everybody in this story. The one in whom all of these different identities can find hope and ultimately even unity. And if Jesus is the hope for all of these people, and we're told that he is a light of revelation to the Gentiles, he is the consolation, the redemption of his people, then our mandate is clear. We have a responsibility and a privilege of declaring that same message to people from every walk of life and to every corner of the globe. And this is the reason why we pray consistently. Even, even today, you'll hear us pray for Philadelphia Baptist Church, but you'll also hear us pray for Christ Fellowship Church. Because we are not the only game in town. There, there are people starving for this gospel and we can't do it by ourselves. We want churches in our city to be preaching this gospel and for people to be finding life and growing and health there. This is a reason why we give a portion of our budget to mission work around the world. This is why we have a December missions offering that we can give to, to see that work spread further to the ends of the earth. And this is why we should pray that God would even raise up some in our own church. Maybe not even you adults. Maybe we should start praying that the Lord would raise up some adults and some kids. That the Lord would take his gospel to places where it has not been proclaimed or maybe it has been long been forgotten. We, we who belong to Christ are in a position where we look back on his first coming with thankfulness and look forward to his coming with hope. But there are billions of people who have not even heard that he has come. For whom the hope of the gospel is not known. And for whom that second coming that we look to with longing, for its comfort, comes only as condemnation. So our, our love of the gospel, our love of God, our compassion for our neighbor should compel us to wisely and boldly proclaim this gospel while we wait. Friends, waiting, waiting is hard. Waiting can make us want to give up or turn and find some quick kind of solutions we can turn to simpler tasks but with the saints of old remember that the wait is worth it just as Simeon held in his hands the consolation of Israel we're told there's a day that comes for us when the wait will be worth it and you will see him with your eyes who Simeon held in his hands uh, we started our service with Isaiah 25. It is, I, believe, I said, one of my favorite passages of Scripture, and I can think of no better way to close. So if you feel yourself weary, 
If you feel like the wait has gone too long, then lift up your eyes and look for this day. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him, that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, would you come quickly? And until you do, would you help us to wait with patience? I pray that you would use us to proclaim your gospel to those who need to hear it. That you would use us to stir one another up to continue to wait faithfully. And that you, God, at the end of our days, we would see you and greet you gladly knowing that our comfort and our redemption has finally come. Come, Lord Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.